Welcome to episode 839 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 839 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm great, Bevan. Ready for another solid show. Got a got snows back on the mountains? The great Christchurch weather. At the weekend, I was swimming in the sea in a pair of togs, and then today really? it was snowing. That would have been pretty fresh. That was pretty <laughs> fresh, but yeah. Why, why were you swimming in the sea? Oh, we did a little thing, and we jumped in the water at a place called Taylor's Mistake. Beautiful beach. Nice was it like coming a in. winter... Uh, it was sort of a kickoff summer sort of social thing with the with the triathlon academy. And how many people do it? Um, oh, we had ten, fifteen. And yeah. uh, when you say you got you went for a swim, did you get in, get out, or did I you got in, caught a wave in? Thought that was pretty cold, but it was not as quite as bad as I thought. Stood around for a bit, thought I'll go again. Got in again. Ice cream headache, but caught another wave in. It's nothing but the feeling of catching a wave. Oh, it's one of life's greatest fantastic. feelings. Fantastic. Especially if you really catch it. Yeah, yeah. Where you're running out of breath just to try and get that last yeah. little bit out. Oh, no. I love it. So it's all good. I Talk is proudly brought to you by... Uh, profile Design. And we've got a pretty cool gift to give away to a day, don't we, John? We have. So if you become a patron of I Am Talk, you need to get on this wagon pretty quickly. We're going to be doing a giveaway of a set of wheels I'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, we've also got our patrons, and we have... Luke the Brock Gilmore. We've got Kevin the Assassin Hunt. It's Gilmore, not Gilmore, actually. And Nicholas Hitch Pocock. Okay, on this week's show, we've got news, we've got hot topic, we've got an interview. We have. We're talking to David Bowden from Profile Design. Uh, really good ways to gain some time by tyre selection, tyre pressure, tube choices, and so on. So some really good content for you there. We're talking latex. Um, we've got website of the week, wing of the week, questions and answers at the end. Okay. We'd say maybe go to short course first. I'll quickly mention the Zoffingen World Long Distance Duathlon Champs are on the weekend. Yep. Uh, pretty close racing. Matthew Bourgeoisie from France took it out for uh, only 30 seconds from a guy called Fabian Holbach from Germany. On the female side, Melanie Mora took it out by five minutes in front of Lottie Klaus. So Zoffingen Duathlon, it's a long course race, um, steeped in history. Lots Obviously, of people do it. Uh, I, this, do I, know, it. I know it's kind of one of the iconics. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. I've only got just some random results in front of me, um, but certainly because back in the day it was back in the day it used to have big prize money. All the triathletes would go, um, but that was back in the day when there wasn't that many other races. But it used to be big money. But it's still Melina good. won it, didn't he? Sorry, did Melina win? Uh, yeah, I think Melina. I think one year Melina and maybe Erin won it the same year. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I just remember seeing it once the TV coverage of Mark Allen. Uh, absolutely smoking it, and I think Erin Baker won that year as well. So wow. yeah, really challenging course. If you want to go find a Tough race, go to Zoffingen Powerman Duathlon. Well, one thing that's going to be really sad about Ironman from beginning of next year is you're never going to hear Mike Riley say to you, you, you are, are an Ironman, Ironman, because he is retiring. His last race he's going to commentate at is uh, Ironman December. In New Zealand. Yeah, we're doing it. 70.3s, you mean? No, there's an Ironman in December this year. That's oh, that's cat, to make up catch for. Up. Okay. So he's done and dusted, and good on him. He's had a fantastic career and How made a big Mike difference. He's been around for a while, Mike Riley. Uh, so good on him. He's retiring. Going to spend more time with his family and his grandkids and stuff like that. Going to be at Ironman New Zealand. He'll be at Kona. Um, and if you want to check out Mike Riley, listen to our Legends of Triathlon well, podcast I, with him. Well, I think we do have to kind of take a moment here. Like, 
he is one of the icons of our sport. Oh, absolutely. You know, when we think of icons, you've got the, the, the athletes. Mm-hmm. Then you've got some of the, like, the Hoyts, mm-hmm. you know, some of the stories. And to be honest, when we think of iconic stories of those Kona stories, there's not many that you really could go, you know, the Hoyts stand out, don't they? Mm-hmm. You know, there's... And Julie Moss. And, and who, was, who was the guy with the wheelchair? Um, uh, Carlos Moreira, maybe, or yeah. John McLean? Maybe McLean, McLean. Yeah. yeah. So there's a few... Icons, and then we think outside of athletes and people who are racing in the race. Bob Babbitt, mm-hmm. yeah, Mike Riley, Valerie Silk, who was the first sort of race director. Yeah, but even not many people would know her. Mm. You know, uh, she's on our podcast. Oh, I'm I'm on Legends, so oh, I disagree with she that. But you know what I mean? Like it's um, he really is one of the biggest names of our sport, mm. and uh, you know, like getting getting your name called across the line when you came across the line from Mike Riley means a lot to a lot of people and mm. it's kind of like I like rugby league and they had a guy called Rabbits Warren who's been the commentator for years and he retired this year mm-hmm. and the amount of players who were like one of the key moments in their career was to get him to commentate their game yeah. was a really big thing and, and you know Mike's been a massive part of his sport and um, so just you know really big thanks to him because he's obviously given a lot of us a pretty cool moment in our lives and he take you know uh, and again I would recommend you go and if you haven't listened to the Legends mm. of Triathlon podcast because Sometimes you just think, oh, they're just there, just yelling out names as they come across. But he's you know, committed, man. He does a lot of research. He does a lot race. of research because I do a lot of voice work at races. Hmm. No way I do the level of work he does. Yeah. Yeah. Now, admittedly, it's probably easier nowadays because you get the apps. Mm-hmm. Whereas he was doing it before apps, and he would literally research the night before. Mm. Like bugger that. Mm. Um, okay, the other big news this week is that the PTO US Open Championship fields are announced. Uh, Stella, maybe not quite rock star. Oh, it's pre- it's missing a couple of rock stars, but it's come on, missing the the, the Norwegians, but which are the that, rock stars? Which are rock stars, but you're not going to get every single person turning no. out to every single race all the time. So this, um, again, awesome field. You've got Magnus Ditlev, Lionel Sanders, Alistair Brownlee, Daniel Beckengard, Florian Angert, Sam Long, Rudy Von Berg, and so they're some of the biggest names in there um, in the sports. So looking but, forward to that. And, and the other thing is. It's not just that you've got those. You've also got like Kyle Smith, you've got Jason West, yeah. you've got Sebastian Keenley. So it's a deep, good field, isn't it? You haven't really got any Gumbies in there. And yeah. to, you know, when you go to an Ironman race, I'm not, uh, a lot of the time people say, oh, these pros shouldn't have a pro card. I don't really care if, if you know, good yeah. age groupers have pro cards or not. But to go to here, you know, you've got to be ranked in the top 40 in the world. You can't just rock up and do it. So it's a strong, deep field on both the men's side and, and the women's side. Women's side, you know, you haven't, again, you're missing some some names there, but it's still a bloody strong field. You know, you don't have, uh, you do have Kat Matthews. I wasn't sure if she was racing or not. But you've got Lucy Charles Barkley. See if she can back up yeah, after that great race. Um, at the World Long Distance Champs. Ashley Gentle, Taylor Nib, Paula Finlay, those three there are probably the hottest property in terms of you know, the 70.3 half Ironman distance along with Lucy Charles. Um, but yeah, you're obviously missing Daniela Reef and um, and you know, a couple of others, but it's still, it's a great field and it's the kind of stuff we've always gone on. We want to be seeing this, yeah. you know, we want to see, you know, delivering. a handful of races every year where you've got all the big kahunas there and, and they're pretty much delivering that. So. so remember the race is on the 17th of September US time um, and 18th for... The men's. And that's great that it's on two different days. You know, both genders will, will have, um, uh, you know, really good representation in terms of coverage. Hopefully, the course is cool. I haven't really checked that out yet. It's we'll Utah, isn't it? Uh, no, it's in Dallas. In, oh, I think okay, it's cool. in 
Dallas, I think. Now, uh, one thing I do always laugh at, Rachel McBride, her nickname's Rach. Yes. That always makes me laugh. million, and the reason why these fields are so strong is A, the athletes want to support the PTO, but B, million dollars prize money up for grabs, $100,000 for first place, down to $5,000 for 20th. There's plenty of races in the world where 5,000 US is going to be for the win. Yep. And if you uh, place 21st through, through 40, everyone gets uh, $2,000. So you're basically not, well, you might be out of pocket depending on where you're coming from, but uh, it's going to be pretty much break even if you even if you have a crapper. Yeah, it's great. It's you know, it's really good. And um, how excited are you? Okay, of these PTO kind of outside Collins Cup, the championship races. Mm. How excited are you by them now? Oh, pretty excited. I, I, like when we go, okay, we go ranking in the year of John's excitement around races. Mm. Other than an Olympic year, what races? Let's go. Oh no, the, the, the Super League was uh, is is a watch. I watched that yesterday. Is that number one? Uh, it wouldn't be number one. If you had a day where you had all the triathlons, you could only watch in twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. What would you pick first? Year, you'd go Kona first. Yep. And I probably would have said before the Collins Cup this year, the Collins Cup. But I'm probably less excited about yeah. that now. Uh, and then for me, Super, like Super League's in the Super well, League. These would be a bit of a tie with Super League. The thing with Super League, and we'll go into that in a moment, is that you just don't have everybody there. Yep. And that's why I probably would lean towards these races because you've Cause the pretty field. much got everybody there. Okay. Uh, the one thing that I just hope is, is just a bit more atmosphere from the event itself in terms of spectators and, and, and you know, bums on seat actually at the race. And hopefully we get some close racing because um, we did see a bit of close racing. So you're saying one. Kona comes first, mm-hmm. second comes the championship races? I think so. Yeah, these, these, these championship races. What about races. World 70.3 champs? Uh, well, that, that will depend a bit on the field, but that would be, that'd be a tie for these. But yeah. the, these are basically World Championship 70.3 yeah, yeah, World great. Series races. Yeah. Um, I was pretty excited with Utah just because that was such a cool course. Yeah. Um, so over time, course profile and kind of, yeah. Well, what about what about World Triathlon? Where does that sit in this? Uh, On John's scale. Oh, they're... They're all pretty much a tie, to be honest. Oh, uh, don't sit on the no, fence, Yusim. Well, I'll tell you what's d- deeply at the bottom, and that's watching just a standard Ironman race. Those days have yeah, gone, because yeah. when you've got like two or three people racing, that Ironman live coverage, don't think I'll really be uh, partaking no, there's, in there's that any longer. there's not much that draws you to a race now, is there? Even the no. championship races now. No. Uh, you know, that's, you know. I wouldn't watch an, an Ironman Germany. You'd, you'd maybe tune in and quick to see how much Frodo's spanking Patrick Langer by, but that's about, yeah. that's about it. Uh, so... I think they're all pretty even these days. Mm-hmm. Well, Sorry, well, point there. But you're saying Collins Cups comes third. Yeah, if they do the same again next year, I'll definitely still be watching it. Yeah. But... Something's got to change. Something's got to change. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but hey, learn and, learn mm. and progress. Mm. Okay, we've also got other races. We've got a few races coming up. So the qualification for 2023 Kona begins this week. We also have Ironman Wales. What's happening in that race, John? Ironman Wales, Joe Skipper's heading over there. So, um, yeah, whether or not this takes an edge off him for, for Kona, or I presu- presume he's going to Kona, uh, but he's he should take that out. He looks like he's in pretty good form in that. You know, the, the, when he did the sub seven yeah. off limited training, he was awesome. Yep. You know, he wasn't that far behind. Is this too close to Kona? Well, he's done this before and performed really well. Okay. Um, but it's been, he is, I don't, I don't recall seeing Joe race since that sub seven. He's uh, got so, a 50% chance of winning based on Thorsten's ratings. Yeah. So. Uh, Leon Chevalier's there and a few other guys that I'm not really too familiar with. One, however, that is there, this is for our Kiwi listeners, Dougal Allen's listed to race again. 
I couldn't tell you the last time he's done a bloody triathlon. No, because he's done a bit of multi-sport for a bit. I interviewed him a couple of years, oh, about a year ago, didn't I? Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. Ironman Wisconsin's also happening. It is. Uh, and we've got... Oh, that, and Wales is a male-only race. Yes. And at Wisconsin, you've got Ben Hoffman, Cam Worth, Cody Beals, Andy Potts, and Brent McMahon racing. Uh, so that's, again, these guys are all racing pre-Kona. Hoffman will definitely be in Kona. Worth will definitely be being Kona, you would assume. Don't know about Cody Beals. Uh, on the female side, you've got Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, and Melanie McQuaid. Going back to this idea that Ironman races fields are going to get less strong because we're getting the PTO races, and mm-hmm. there's, there's so many big races now that the everyday Ironman is going to suffer. For like an Andy Potts, that's pretty good, really, isn't it? You can keep on going Because he can races. cash out. Yeah, he can go out and cash out in the last part of his career, mm. you know, because he's probably not really trying to be that ambitious for the PTO stuff. And maybe he's not good enough now. Mm. Oh yeah, you know, but yep. he could turn up to a lot of Ironman races now, where we aren't getting the, that top forty athlete mm. turning up and actually prolong his financial side of his career. Yeah, yeah. and it's great for exposure. so it's not just good for development people; it's also good for longer the tooth athletes who want to go a little bit longer. Mm. Yeah, um, and so yeah, Ironman races may well struggle as as the PTO events you know start to pull pull more of a field, and especially if they have any long course races or iron distance races. But as we'll challenge, we've got Challenge Almira coming up this weekend. Um, top seed there is Yvette Schlittinger. Did we talk about the girls in Wisconsin? We did. Uh, I think I did. No, you didn't. No. Heather Jackson. No, no, I did. Oh, okay, you you sorry. just clearly weren't listening to me. What's the story of your life? <laughs> uh, and then on the boys' side, we've got uh, Els Vissis, so two um, local Dutchies who are favourites to take out their race. 40,000 euros paying 10 deep. And then the final race that I noticed was on coming up this weekend is the Olympos X, another one of these extreme triathlons. And you go over Mount Olympus. Um, oh, wow. Um, so you've got a 4K open water swim. Uh, start on a boat and then you've got a 182 bike, K bike ride crossing over two mountains um, of Olympus with 4,000 metres of elevation gain and then 40 kilometres of running with 2,200 positive altitude difference passing through the second highest peak of Mount Olympus uh, which is, yeah, you want to go to Greece I'm going to Greece next year, I'm looking forward to it, it's going to be awesome Are you going to ride Mount Olympus? I'm not going to go to Mount Olympus Was that part of your camp? No what are you doing in Greece? Just having a holiday. Having some lightning. Yeah. No, we're <laughs> going to Athens and we're going to one of the islands. Is it based around your camp, but? As far as after the camp. Yeah. Do, do, do yeah. rote and then uh, go and put the feet up with Belinda. Have you done Greece before? No, that's where we're going. <laughs> no, there's lots of lightning. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Super League happened. Super League um, did happen. I and Hayden Wilde took it out. Uh, I didn't watch it, whatever. It was really good racing. Um, very top-heavy racing. So you have, you know, three or four really good guys and likewise three or four really good females. And is that shown in the race? Like, is it massive gaps? Um, Other than the top kind of echelon? Sort of. They're just, they're just focusing on the leaders, so you don't really get okay. to see, see yeah. the rest of them too much. And um, when you say that, that you, you know, obviously got, like, the Wilds and the Yees, um, what level are the next athlete down? Are they World Cup athletes? Oh no, they were championship series athletes just, but I had a quick look at the field comparing them against the current world rankings. And on the guys' side, you had five of the top 20 men. And then on the female side, you had around about seven of the top 20 females. And that's representative of it. The winners who are winning the race are probably going to win anyway. So you had Hayden Wilde and Alex Yee and Matt Hauser. They're probably one, two, and three in the world, or, you know. So it's just what, very close. What's, what's going to be and the then, order on the podium. Yeah, then the rest is just, they're all, all out the back door pretty much. And same same deal on the on the female side. You've got George Taylor-Brown, who's one of the best in the, you know, equal 
second best probably in the world at the moment. Um, but she got beaten by Cassandra Bogran. So it was really good racing. It was captivating. But what was the controversy? Yeah. Because apparently I saw in the news last night oh, yeah. there was a controversy. Did they pick the wrong guy? Well. You get this feeling, and maybe it's just me, that Super League kind of just make rules up on the fly. Oh, really? Uh, and we've seen it a few times. Firstly, I think they just need to get rid of the short shoot. It, it doesn't yeah. add anything to it no. for me. It ruins it, doesn't it? And it sometimes ruins it. Luckily, in this case, it didn't have any impact on the race at all. But what they cocked up is uh, in the men's race, in, it, was a, it was a sort of a triple sprint or whatever they call it. And in the first race... One of the guys in white, they also all the teams start together in their little groups. Okay. He false started and okay. dived in. And so then when they came, they came into transition, the commentators didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Um, I'm pretty sure, and I might be wrong here, in a world triathlon race, I imagine it's a five-second penalty. I'm okay. not quite sure. And this one, I don't, nobody knew what the hell was going on, and it seemed like they held him until everybody was through transition and then maybe five seconds, or, or and he was then basically put oh, into really? last place. Um, so that was partly controversial because I've never seen that rule in place before. But maybe that's their rules. That's fine. And did that affect the overall race? A little bit. But the problem was they picked the wrong guy. Oh, no. <laughs> so the guy that got the penalty didn't even dive in. And he's standing there going. And was it the guy who got second overall? Yeah. He's going, it wasn't, no, it wasn't me. You got the wrong person. Oh, no. And so he got a penalty. Probably didn't change the result. It I, I wouldn't have. Yeah, Hayden Wilde still prop. You'd think probably would have. Why won. was Hayden so good on that day? Uh, he was just on the money. And Alex Lee, he sounds like he's not really signed up for the series. He was sort of a late entrant, and he's really focusing on Olympic distance and okay. the difference between Olympic and um, and Super League. You know, if yes, preparing specifically for it, that's what all it takes. Getting paid to turn up. Sorry, what do you reckon that? Because Yee was in I've London. They need no they need idea. Yee there, don't they? Hmm. It'd be interesting to know their appearance fee. And so I don't think he would have prepared. Super specifically for it, but he was still there or thereabouts, and so it's good for Hayden Wild to to get one over on him after a, after taking second place quite a few times. They keep trying to push the team aspect of things um, in terms of uh, the scorpions and the cheetahs and the rhinos and the sharks and so on. Um, Gee, you would you do well to know all their names. I might have I might have got them all. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but until that it really becomes some teams racing, it doesn't mean much to me no. because. You're all just in the same outfits, but you're not really racing as a team. Yeah, you're getting points, and you are trying to go as hard as you can for the team. But until they maybe include a team time trial, or you actually see people waiting for others, which is what you see in cycling, yeah. is if you're in the front group, and your athlete who's a really good runner is in one of the back groups, and you sort of freewheel a bit, and you try to pull them up, then the team aspect might push in. But at the moment, they're just kind of all in different uniforms racing. It's kind of like a convoluted way to try to get us more interested, isn't it? Mm. And it's not really captivating yet. It's not for me anyway. And get rid of the short shoot. Get rid of the short shoot. Not required. It's good enough racing without it. It's kind of... And if yeah. anything, sometimes kills a race. Mm. Yeah. Uh, they have. Uh, I've got to say this. Uh, Obs try. Oh, that's right. Yeah, fantasy picks. How do they go? Fantasy picks. Um, so they've got one. They did one for the London at the weekend, and then they're doing it for Munich, and they're doing it for some of the other big races. You know, Kona, and for the uh, the Dallas Open coming up, the US Open. Um, I did reasonably well here. Uh, the top person on that was a guy called John Brettonson, and he got 125 points. I was ranked 24th out of. Looks like I think it was about a. At 105. Okay. The one person that let me down was Emma Jeffcoat. Oh, come on, on, Emma. Pick up your game. Come on, Emma. She's a pom as well, isn't she? No, she's an Australian. Okay, well, that's why. Yeah. Um, we also had the Valencia World Cup triathlon. Not much to talk about, but um, 
Louis. No, Marion Mulder. Marian Mulder sort of on his way back a little bit. He got second there. So he, he was guy pre-COVID was on top of the world and just crushing it. Had a really bad, crappy Olympics and hasn't really done anything since. So not quite sure why. Um, yeah, but he's uh, he got a second place there, which is good. So hopefully he comes back and finishes off his season, or his, his sort of career and style. What, what about Long? For him, uh, he did a half Ironman a few years ago and did really, really well. But no, he's he's a runner. He's a skinny little small guy, smoking runner. Okay, uh, let's go into this week's discussion of the week. So, should Ironman reduce the number of pro races money pool and pull the money together so they can pay everyone in Kona a little bit more overall? Uh, and this is partly because the cost of going to Kona is enormous. And I think I say this every week, but um, for yeah, for for a pro, if you're not getting in the top five maybe top 10, you're losing a lot of money going over there. So Robert Flint uh, said, maybe uh, maybe Ironman may be faced with increasing PTO races next year, so they'll need to do something. Less races with more prize money makes sense. Otherwise, the top athletes would just earn the money with fewer costs from the PTO events while they exist. Who can blame them? Michael Rand's got a better question. Should Ironman pay the pros' accommodations costs? Many pros will not go this year due to the ridiculous prices for accommodation. There's no way in hell I'd even consider doing it at the moment. Read Joe Reed's post today. Oh, Joe Skipper's post today. I didn't read it, but he is potentially a top five and he's got he's opting not to go. What I didn't see that he's... Oh, he might not be going. I'm not sure. I did have a quick look. I couldn't tell if Joe was going or not, but he is doing Ironman Wales. Um, that, what does that say for the whole vibe of... Um, Viability of the race. That's 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 true. That is huge. Because mm. Joe's top five contender. Oh, de- definitely is. You know, and yeah. if he's not going because of costs, mm. are we starting to see the, the death of Kona? Um, I don't know about that. It's well, just this year. It's just insanely expensive, and and there's so much catch. But they're doing going the same on. next year, aren't they? They are. Yeah. You know, you said that wouldn't happen. Uh, I proved you wrong. <laughs> yeah. Richard Swan uh, said, in all fairness, do you think, say, a 35th place at the World Champs is deserving of prize money? What races and other sports pay that deep so all entrants uh, also get the top 40 prize money? I, I kind of think if you make it to Coney, you've got to qualify to get there. Um, yeah, I reckon, I, I don't have a problem with them paying all the way down. Good old Dan Goff's got 128 men and women just picked up $80,000 each after losing in the first round of the US Open. And there are four majors a year, let alone all the other tournaments. Honestly, why would you become a professional triathlete? Well, that's a stupid question. That's a stupid yeah. Dan, I'm yeah. not backing you here. Yeah. Because if you can't swing a club, yeah. you, you do the thing you're good at in life. Um, that's hopefully what the PTO can do eventually, is that they can bring bigger money into the sport so we can have... Races where even second tier do all right. Well, let's wait and see what happens in Kona this year. John, did John Muncy, did you? You didn't do his. No, I haven't done um, his, but he's my uh, next. Uh, okay, at current cost to get and participate in Kona, I'll be surprised if we get thirty-five pros in Kona. Prize money can pay for the podium finishes, but if Ironman does not provide financial incentive to get to Kona in the first place, and then the PTO fields will continue to um, reduce, or the, the pro fields will continue to reduce in favour of the PTO events, challenge and other branded events. Uh, they are professionals after all and need to earn a living in order to exist. Well, you must have done two because here's his earlier post. Got, I raised this question of the week uh, to John and Bevan a couple of weeks ago and they have modified it since. He's given us the finger basically. Yeah. So, sharpen up, boys. John, we've we, we got to modify it sometimes. Um, my original post was that IMET has for a long time now focused on age group racing and paid minimal prize money to pros. Ironman's main unique selling point is that it's the world official world championships, which pandemic 
apart happens to be on the Big Island. If they wish to remain relevant and keep attracting professionals to travel to the Big Island and not lose them all to the PTO events, then my suggestion was to remove the prize money at full distance Ironman events, excluding regional and world championships, and replace this with um, flight and accommodation costs fully paid for Kona. Ironman has enough leverage to negotiate provincial flights and ho- I don't know if that's true um, and hotel deals which will minimise its financial outlay whilst encouraging all pros to participate at Kona regardless of their ranking or genuine likelihood of winning if not then I believe Ironman will continue to see the credibility and relevance of their events and specifically Kona World Championships further erode as the most professional athletes are simply not going to go to be able to justify the 10,000 outlay for two to three weeks in Kona Fully knowing, uh, knowing full well that the chance of financial recovery is minimal, especially when they can focus their efforts on PTO and some challenge events. So, for people who haven't been to Kona before, lay of the land over there. Sorry, you done? I'm done. Okay. Yep. Lay of the land over there. It's not full of hotels. There's one hotel, the King Cam, which is right at the swim start. We do live in the Airbnb time, but yes, we do. But in terms of getting preferential rates with hotels, oh, okay. like, yeah, that's yeah. not happening. There's a, there's a holiday in just around the corner, which is tiny. And there's a couple of other small hotels, but certainly no big chains. You, could, you do go down the road to Waik, um, Waikaloa, 50k away, and then there's some hotel chains there. But the thing is, they don't need to give preferential rates because they've got everybody by the balls anyway. Yeah. Um, so I've created demand. I just, demand and scarcity, that's how you put up prices. I just think it's going to be interesting. Proof will be in the pudding this year in terms of whether the pros turn up to Kona or not, all, all of them. Um, well, let's say Joe doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think we are seeing the erosion. And what happens if PTO actually get rid of Collins Cup and say we're just doing a world championship? A mid-season world championship. I don't think they'll ever go head-to-head with Kona in terms well, of trying to ruin Kona, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do a championship race. What do they owe Kona? Sorry? What, is it, what do the pros owe Kona? Well, it gives us... Come on, gives I've us been shit on them forever. Yeah, but it gives them a lot of profile in terms of people, everybody else in terms of how do you, how do you do, been done to Kona? How do you get on to Kona? If you judge the, you only know, thing if I you think judge the top pros like Fredino, how many times has he won I'm in Germany and wrote, do, you re- do people really care? It's all about how many Kona titles have you got. The only thing I think Kona's got to the advantage is the legacy of the name. Mm. You know, to everyday people... Kona still, you know, have you done Ironman Hawaii? You know, that's, I, I don't know if that's still the case. When I was doing Ironman, you say you did Ironman, people would say, have you done Ironman Hawaii? Mm. Now, I don't know if Joe Public still has that knowledge of Ironman Hawaii. Maybe it doesn't. It's been a while since I've been racing. So, but PTO owe nothing to Ironman. You know, the, the reason PTO needed to be existed because Ironman shat on them for years. We're getting a little off topic here, though. No, but because, yeah. like, so if they're slowly, because ro- Ironman, have called this the World Championship and they can mm-hmm. call it the Ironman World Championship because they own that brand. But yeah, I don't know. Are we seeing the erosion, John? Well, we haven't seen Kona for about three bloody years, well, have true. we? Okay, so but, should they focus on pulling the prize money or not? So this, I've got two sort of voices with this one. One is in theory, I go, how they should definitely pull it and have four regional championships and maybe four other races and someone else in there suggested maybe having a development, uh, development races where if you're ranked in the top whatever you can't yep. do it and I, and I think in principle that is the way to go however if I'm putting my race director's hat on if I'm an Ironman New Zealand and I'm the race director and you're trying to get funding um, from local councils and so on they're going to want to see some top quality athletes in there but if you haven't got do if they? you're not allowed to have a pro race oh, definitely you think? definitely because otherwise the, the, the local media are going to cover put more stories in there you know I've got an event um, that I 
organise that the council sponsor and one of the criteria is you've got to have you know, a certain number of or try to get a certain number of athletes the top ranked New Zealand athletes there uh, so that's the one caveat I would say is to a lot of these races they need to get local funding to pay Ironman for probably the exorbitant fees you have to have to, to have host, host a, a race in your area and if you're not having a pro race uh, at all that fee you're going to get is going to be, I would imagine, significantly reduced. Even if you say, hey, we're still going to be bringing in 3,000 people into town, they're often going to want to see those pros to, to give the, the event a bit more profile locally and sort of domestically and internationally as well. So kind of a little bit torn, but I think something needs to change because a lot of these fields, yeah, they're, they're pretty piss poor when you only get you know, a couple of decent pros there at most. Well, and I think with the advent of PTO, it's actually a pretty good idea because – we are going to see weaker Ironman fields. Like Ironman New Zealand, you're going to get the local guys just because it's a good profile mm. for them. You're going to get Braden, you might get Mike Phillips, you know, those types of characters. But you're not going to get a Craig Alexander come over and do it nowadays. Not that no. he really ever did, but you get, you'd often get another top 10 Kona guy mm. outside of a Kiwi athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably a dying thing. Mm. Um, and so, and also, are they willing to pay pros for parents' fee? Mm. Doesn't sound like it. No. And so, I, I, I to me, it's kind of like, you know, let's take, I was trying to do some research then on the total prize pool they put out. It's how much? About six million a year, isn't it? I've got no idea. I think we have known in the past. I can't remember what it is, but for a total prize pool for the Ironman field for all races in the year, if you just put it into five, five races, mm. you know, your championship races in Kona and Kona kind of tilted more, um, that makes it more appealing. It does for a spectator. And pay deeper. Then the devil's advocate there is if you're a, a journeyman pro and you can go and win an Ironman race somewhere else, that's gonna yeah you're gonna get less prize money from that. But then you can go to your sponsors and go, I'm an Ironman champion, and then you're gonna I don't know. Yeah, well that's my Andy Potts point. Like yeah. he can make lots of money right now because the fields are so weak. Mm. It's yeah, we, it's a really interesting time in the sport right now, isn't it? You know, bring like, on Kona. What yeah. are we probably about a month away? Six weeks, I think. We are indeed. Okay, um, let's go to this week's discussion. Do you think a draft-legal half Ironman would be a good race to watch if there was a strong field and deep field trekking on a hilly boy, on a hilly course? Also, what about an Ironman? I'm just intrigued. Tom Has that Somerville, ever happened? Tom, uh, not to my knowledge. Tom Somerville, who I swim with, uh, well, I try to these days. He's a bit quicker now. Oh, um, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. That hurts a lot. And... Uh, He's off to Sunshine Coast 70.3, along with Mike Phillips, actually. Mike Phillips, interestingly, in New Zealand, we had uh, we had our Canterbury Road Champs that I did a few weeks ago. So that's 10K champs. He he beat all the locals. Uh, oh, really? So a triathlete beating all the runners. Love that. And then they had the New Zealand Road Champs at the weekend. So again, 10K. And we had a guy, Janus Stauffenberg, who's a short course triathlete, uh, beat all the runners there as Kiwi well. Kiwi boy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. From Dunedin. Uh, what type did he do? Now, uh, I think it was a tactical race, thirty-one flat or something, okay. so it wasn't that quick. But and 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 like all our top runners probably yeah. a lot of them overseas. We still beat Oscar um, Baines from Christchurch as well. Yeah. Um, so what was the point I was trying to make? Mike Phillips is fast. Mike Phillips is fast. Uh, and he he suggested to this uh, uh, when he after the Collins Cup, he said, oh, "Maybe this just make a draft legal." Um, and I think I think on a flat course would be pretty boring. But, but let's say you did Collins Cup and you did draft legal and the team's captain had to pick the teams and it wasn't so much about points. Mm. You know, like a Starkowitz, you'd have him in there, wouldn't you? I think it and, was, and you might say, maybe not whole team, the first athlete across the line. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't really know. But I think 
uh, if it was a flat course, it'd be pretty boring because it's even if you're a shitty cyclist, you can still hold someone's wheel pretty like m- all those pros. If Lionel Sanders went to the front and started cranking it, they're going to be able to hold his wheel. But if you stayed on it, like I'm, I'm just thinking, there's guaranteed to be faults in my thinking here. But you start with team, 10 athletes, three have to get across the finish line at the same time, right? You know what I mean? So there's a drop off at each point in the race, and you can choose your, your team. Kind of like some of the cycle tricks. So you're saying races. ten Europeans, ten Americans. Yeah, and it's basically a team time trial. Yeah, and, and three only three have to finish the yeah. race. Yeah, we've discussed that before. It's basically, just a team time trial. Yeah, yeah, but not, but not we all ten have to finish. Mm. You know, just your top three. Mm. So obviously, you're going to try save your runners, your top runners for the last part of the race. Mm. Got to do would, something. Got to do something. <laughs> okay, um, so you do you think a draft league or half Ironman or full Ironman is something that would be good for the sport? Quiz question. John's quiz question. Which female, or you ask it? Which female won the first ever draft legal ITU world champs? And I'm saying ITU because back then it was called the ITU world champs. Uh, So which female won the first ever draft legal ITU world Olympic distance championships? So this is, okay, we'll talk about it later. Statistic. It's fantastic. Okay, how fast can I be done without drafting? So we've got an oh, email okay, in here seven. from okay. Joss, uh, I'm going to pronounce no, this incorrectly. Antonio. And, and Antoine, um, Antoine de Roches. He, tell you what, he is a geek. And he's, uh, my name is Antoine de Roches. I'm a professional triathlete and a PhD student in sports science. I co-wrote an article um, regarding uh, the Sub 7 Ironman and thought you might be interested in reading it. So we'll have a link on our yeah. show notes if you want to go and check it he's out. Gone, he's gone. He makes Thorsten <laughs> look like a peasant. Yeah, but he's just gone through and looked at all the different factors and statistically what's happened with the progression of the male's Ironman time. He's also looked at the females, but this is focused on, you know, is a sub-seven-hour Ironman possible? Um, without drafting? Without, without drafting, but he has he has alluded to what, what could happen with, with drafting as well, and we've kind of seen seen the results of that. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested in, in having a read of that, check it out. A couple Did you of have things. a read? Uh, I, I had a, a skim read over it. One thing that jumped out at me, and this is not statistical-based, but he said the first Ironman event in the continental United States was held in Lake Placid in 1999. It's insane that it took that long. And I'm, I'm going to say it's definitely right because he would have done his research. Yeah, and I do insane. recall it being a long time before there was an Ironman race in 1999. But to think it's only been 23 years we've had Ironman racing in... Especially when we've had how many coders now, 40? Yeah, it was 78. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's, that, was, that was just an interesting... By the side point, um, he also said, you know, in terms of the biking, altitude plays quite a big um, impact because you know you do bike a lot faster when you're at altitude. Obviously, the air's a bit thinner. The the cost of all these things he sort of talks about. So biking at altitude might be quicker, but then running at altitude there's, there's obviously a cost there. Another one that he pulled out um, with regards to the running, the temperature side of things. The temperature that somebody did some study, a temperature at the Boston Marathon performances from 1972 to 2018. A Observe for every increase of one degree centigrade, the average in average temperature, the winner's finishing time increased by 20 seconds, and the average finishing time of all finishes by one minute and 47 seconds. But what's the perfect temperature? Well, I think when they did that Ineos one, I think they were sort of trying to pitch for about 10 degrees or so. So you want it pretty cool for running. but then he does go on to say for biking, that's not optimal. So you need mm. to find that sort of happy ground. But it seemed when they did do that sub seven, sub eight, um, it was probably a little bit hot by the look of it. You know, when you have mm. to spray somebody with the, that bloody. And realistically, like Blumenthal did a two, was it 21? 
th- uh, sorry, seven twenty-one. Mm. So they're only twenty minutes off it. Now, um, really, that's a big twenty minutes. Well, I think it, yeah, I, I think we're better off looking at what Frodo Frodo did. Uh, so he basically, for the conclusion of the study, was we determined based on the trends of all the improvements in the Ironman times over the years that a sub seven hour Ironman is unlikely to be achieved without any external assistance. And we saw that external assistance at uh, the sub seven sub eights. So we know it can be done. All that time was gained on the bike. Um, but I think we, if we look more at the twenty twenty one tri battle, which was Sanders versus Fredino, yep. which was kind of really just it was because he took off straight away in the swim. Um, he swam 45 and 45.58. Uh, I thought he might have gone a fraction quicker than that. So, wh- where we could see some time gained there is if he had some people to draft off in the swim, probably chop a, a, at least a minute off there, plus some energy savings. He rode a 355 in <laughs> crappy weather conditions. Yeah. Uh, so, you'd think I'd, I, we should have asked um, David, who's on the show later. What's the impact of rain in terms of how quick you're actually going? Obviously, it's a lot un- more uncomfortable and, and breaking and slower in the corners yeah. and stuff. But the, the ride they did was was straight line riding. But in terms of you know the, the rolling resistance and so on, what impact that would have? And then he ran a two forty four, um, which is quite slow for him. He did have a crash, uh, uh, fell over on the run. Plus, he had did have to solo TT. So his finish time what was seven twenty seven. Sorry, what did he run? Only two forty four. Oh, really? So it was all made on the bike, really, wasn't it? But um, so I kind of think he did seven twenty-seven in pretty mediocre conditions. If he had had some company on the the swim and on the bike, and if the weather conditions were a bit better, you know, I reckon seven fifteen's not impossible for him. And he's so much better than everybody else. So that seven-hour mark is quite some way away, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. But it was interesting. You go back to nineteen eighty-nine when Mark um, Dave Scott had the record um you know it's gone 40 minutes and basically 30 years mm. you know so 10 minutes a decade mm. no, no no not quite 12 minutes a decade 30 minutes a decade so interesting stuff okay let's get into our interview we've got an interview coming up jumbo yep we're talking to david bowden and um, we did have a little um pause in the middle there uh just uh, david switched over microphones yep. but uh if you want to go quicker and think about your tire and tube selection listen up here we go Right, here we guys. Um, we've got David Bowden on the show again um, from Profile, brought to you by Profile Design. He was a speedy athlete in his own right in his day. He's a bike fitter we've had on the show before. He's got a fitting system and one of the guys behind the R&D at Profile Design and gets his hands dirty with a bit of coaching and knows what make, makes athletes go fast. So welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. Oh, I would have hoped that my speedy days aren't entirely behind me. I dream that they'll come back. But Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Right um, now they are behind me. We had a, an email in from Graham McCullum. He, he uh, said, I listened into your latest show. John mentioned his son's science project experiment, and I did that a little while ago where we played around with different tyre pressures and measuring which was quickest. Anyway, I'd love to hear more about tyre pressures. I've noted once in the past when I was unable to inflate my tyres to the desired pressure, I uh, wanted to get 110 psi in the rear and 100 PSI in the front, that I was actually faster when I did a time trial. I'd never the courage or the patience to investigate it further. Uh, he's a heavier rider, 120 kgs, former former front rower uh, playing rugby, and he imagined he should have higher tyre pressure, but yeah, he was just keen to find out more. So I thought, get David on, talk a bit about different tyre types, different tyre widths, tyre pressures, and so on. So um, if we sort of kick off with 
um, tire types, especially these days, a lot of people are sort of moving to tubeless and a lot of people who are listening to this won't have a clue how tubeless works and the, the pros and cons. So maybe maybe just sort of talk us through different tire types, you know, tubeless, tubulars, um, old school and uh, and clinches and kind of the, the sort of pros and cons that people should be aware of with each of them. So clinches are the what most people would consider the standard tire type where you have a tube inside and the tire is clinched into the rim by a hook on the rim and a matching bead on the tire. Then tubeless are a step along from there where it's the interface gets quite a bit tighter and you add a sealant to the, the tire instead of a tube. And that is what provides you with your uh, fallback system in case you get a puncture. Now, tubeless gets a little bit more complicated than that, where there's both TLR, tubeless ready, and full tubeless. Full tubeless, the tire is coated with rubber on the inside so that it can seal without needing a sealant. But for my purposes, I don't really consider that because it makes the tires so much slower to do that. Oh, right, Effectively, okay. you're, you're taking all the disadvantages of tubeless and the disadvantages of clinches and combining them. So you get a slow, heavy tire. You don't need a tube, but you're not gaining that much from it. Whereas the tubeless ready, those are much lighter tires that require the sealant in order to plug the holes in the casing. So often, with the race tubeless tire, you'll see a bit of sealant leaking out when you first fill them up and then it plugs those micro holes and away you go. The other type of tire is tubular, which were also known as sew-ups, where the inner tube is sewn into the casing very carefully so that you don't nick the inner tube. And then that tire is glued onto the rim. So the rim is a different shape in order to take that. Still used in track racing because it can sustain much higher pressures and still popular in road racing where the advantage is that if you do puncture, the tire stays on the rim and so you can ride it flat. Whereas with a clincher, if you puncture, the tire can disassociate itself from the rim and riding on metal is not fantastic. So it tends <laughs> to mean that you come to a shuddering halt. Uh, if we cast back to 1995 Road World Championships, Abraham Olano rode the last few kilometres with a flat rear tubular. Uh, would have probably trashed the wheel by riding it that hard, but to win the Rainbow Stripes, you tend not to care all that much. Mm. Well, well, I, I know they have the advantages and disadvantages, but which is best? Well, we are then evaluating risk profile a little bit. In terms of tubulars, they're, they're mostly gone. The development isn't happening for tubulars. What brands have found is that they can improve the aerodynamics of clinches by controlling the interface between the rim and the tire. And most people prefer clinches and have done for quite some time. So the rolling resistance of the best clinches 
is better than what you'll typically get for the road going tubulars. There are pro edition tubulars that are very hard to get hold of, which tend to be a bit better. But because the tube is sewn in, you don't have the capability to change it. Whereas with a clincher, you can decide, I'm going to train with a butyl tube, which is slower and cheaper, and race with a latex tube, which is much faster and more expensive. Not a lot more expensive, but is more expensive. So there's a lot more versatility with clinchers. You can easily choose what you're going to use in a particular day. And the gluing aspect of tubulars, my first race wheels for school cycling, my dad glued the tires himself, never having done it before. He oh. got glue on his face, glue <laughs> yeah. on the braking surface, glue on the valve so it never closed properly. Yeah. Uh, it was an experience. After he, that, he had one I, job. <laughs> yeah. I learned to do it myself after that <laughs> because obviously I couldn't rely on my help. But there, there's a hassle factor with tubulars and there isn't a speed advantage to them anymore. It's, it's very specific. Like I mentioned, track cycling, 200 PSI, road cycling, if you want to be able to ride the run. But yeah. road cycling, we are starting to see more of a shift towards tubeless because having the sealant gives you a much higher chance that you don't come to a stop if you get a flat, that the sealant will seal up the hole while there's still some pressure left in the tyre, which, even if it's a bit soft, allows the rider to keep going until they can get a replacement wheel. Mm. Again, the choices for road cyclists versus triathletes are very different because in high-level road cycling, you get support. If you're doing a fun ride, True. You won't have a wheel wagon, but if you're racing, then you have a wheel wagon. And at the pro level, you have a specific team car. So when you have that kind of backup, you're not quite so concerned about the failure mode. For a triathlete, where your backup is yourself, then you want to be thinking about what's my fastest option that suits my risk profile so that's where you might decide i'm going to use a bit of a slower more punch resistant tire in order to not have to be stopped on the side of the road and and some people choose extremely slow tires because they're terrified of the risk of having to stop on the side of the road mm -hmm. because they can't deal with them changing a tire particularly easily so, in, so in, in terms of tubeless, um, you know, I, I've never ridden tubeless before. Um, on camps, I've seen some people have uh, some some horror times uh, trying to sort out their their tubeless tires. What what are the sort of um, you you talk about the risk profile, but you know, when tubeless goes wrong, um, sort of talk us through, you know, what happens and what people need to be ready for. That that's the the failure mode aspect that. For some people that have had nothing but good experiences with tubeless and other people have only had bad, my experiences have been pretty good on road tyres, but I've never gone through trying to make tyres and rims that weren't intended for it work, mm. which in the early days of mountain bike tubeless, people were doing all sorts of things that were just not working very well. The issue with tubeless is that if the sealant fails to plug the hole, then 
you're looking at a scenario of having to remove the tire, which is a lot tighter than a standard clincher, and then install an inner tube, which you're carrying as a spare, with all of this goo slopping around the place, which <laughs> you are, is going to make it much harder when your hands get all slippery. Apparently you get on your uh, face as well. So, Yeah, and th- this is after, <laughs> if it hasn't sealed, then it's sprayed uh, goo all up your backside or up your front or if you're on camp or on the people around you. Yeah. So the the failure mode is a bit messy if it doesn't work. If it works, then oftentimes you barely know that you've had a flat. You might just hear a little bit of a, of a and think, oh, my tire's softer now and keep on going. And certainly on mountain bike and gravel tires, because they've got such high volume, the sealant generally seals so quickly that you don't even realize but with road tires being much lower volume and much higher pressure you can lose quite a few psi very rapidly before the sealant has a chance to work oh no it's interesting um and or anything else you want to sort of say before we sort of go into tire width and stuff anything else to sort of comment on on sort of the um if people are sort of considering which way to go you know cost is always a factor i still ride tubulars um because that's what i've got at the moment in terms of my race wheels um so until i upgrade my wheels that's what i've what i've got but but anything else people sort of need to think about with regards to um yeah tire tire options it's not that important between clinches and tubeless yet the very best tubeless tyres are a bit faster than the very best clincher tyres. When you say a bit, what does it mean? Mm. Let's... Yeah. I like this guy because he looks at the numbers. You know, he doesn't just put a random bit out of his butt. He's yeah. looking at the numbers. Be- yeah. Bevan will be sitting here making, yeah. making yeah. stuff up on the oh, floor. 20 minutes every, every hour. <laughs> Whereas David, it's like yeah, Tor- David and Torsten like the numbers yes yes that is definitely true we're talking about a watt and a half okay yeah. a pretty if we look at the continental grand prix 5000 from the standard clincher to the tubeless version there's about a watt and a half advantage per tire mm. Mm. so it's meaningful and if we're talking about the Grand Prix 5000, that's a very robust tire, but then the tires that are faster than the 5000, they are sacrificing punch resistance. Mm. So then you're very much putting yourself in the hands of the sealant to do its job. But on that note, in uh, what year is this? Getting close to 30 years of triathlon, I've had one or maybe two punches. The 90s are getting a little bit dim now, but I think I finished a race with a soft tyre uh, when I was a kid. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm very much the same. Uh, the David in the race. Yeah, but yeah. a bit riding those roads of Kona with the big shoulder when you've got all sorts of shit on the side of the road. Um, yeah, different different courses, different, slightly different risk profiles. When well, it that, got- that's always the thing 
for me, I had one puncher at Taupo 70.3. That's my only puncher as an adult in a race. And that was with the Continental Supersonic paper thin tyres that I never recommended for anyone else. Just my brother <laughs> and I used them. Yeah. And got it fixed quickly. It was a minute and a half penalty for me. But I wouldn't use those tyres at the Tauranga Half Ironman, which is a race in New Zealand that's in a popular coastal spot just after New Year's, so there tends to be a lot of glass on the road. So I'd choose a a tougher tyre for that race because the risk profile of the course changes. But mostly when you see people with punches on race day, that's not from glass they picked up on race day. That's from glass they picked up in training and they didn't clean their tyres. So preparation is the probably the biggest factor, more important than what you choose as your tyres. And that preparation is don't put on new tyres for race day because when they pull tyres out of the mould that they're made in, they have a mould release, which is a wax. So they spray this wax in the mould and they put the rubber and the casing in it, heat it up and form it. Now that wax is slippery obviously it's intended to help pull the rubber out of the mold and you'll often hear people saying i crashed in this event because it started raining but i had new tires on i should have had good grip well you had wax on your tires so if it's unavoidable if you've gone to your race location and you rip a hole in the side of your tire in the days beforehand and you have to go to the expo and buy a new tire find a piece of sandpaper or an emery board or whatever you can get and sand the wax off because that will make sure that you've not got a dangerous tire for your race if it does happen to be a little bit slippery. Mm. So really you want to have got your new tires a couple of weeks beforehand, use them in your last long ride so that you're testing out all your equipment and that you've got, when you turn up to race day, you've got maybe 100 to 200k, somewhere around 100 miles into the tyres because that will have worn off the wax and the tyres get a little bit faster just in that first bit of wear. And then you have a sweet spot for the tyres up to, depends on the tyre, probably 600k, maybe 400 miles of use where they'll be performing really well. And after that, they start to stretch a bit more so the aerodynamics worsens and then the puncture resistance starts to diminish a little bit as the tread gets thinner. So there's age of your tyres and there's also going around the tyre with a pick of some sort and looking for any cuts and just digging into them to flick out any pieces of glass. Yep. Because what tends to happen is that the glass goes in at the surface and then over a couple of weeks of thousands upon thousands of revolutions, it works its way through the casing to where it can start to nibble at the inner tube and release it on race day. Mm. So I see people on the side of the road on race day, and to me that's not an indication of bad luck. It's most likely going to be an indication of poor preparation. Mm. Nice. In, in terms of um, tyre width, um, you know, we've, we've seen lots of development there. And again, the old school thinking is you have this really thin tyre and, you know, the, the less contact with the 
with the road surface, the quicker you're going to go. Things have changed a little bit there. You know, you've got 23, 25, you've got all different sorts of tyre widths. So um, I know this is quite an open question. It's going to vary a lot depending on um, the road surface you're on. If you're on a shitty Kiwi road versus, um, you know, like a smooth road in Kona or Rote. But what are, what are the, the general considerations people need to make with regards to um, tyre width uh, in terms of, you know, going fast? Mostly tyre width is comfort. For me, I find that a tyre that measures out as a true 30 or more feels really sluggish. I don't like it on the road bike. A true 28 feels pretty good. But what we've seen happen in the last few years is that people have been chasing wider tyres for comfort and a perception that they had lower rolling resistance and then we've seen the wheels get wider to match to be designed for aerodynamics around those wider tires. But part of that premise is false because if you equalize the bulb pressure of the tire, so the, the tension of the tire, that doesn't mean the same PSI level, then there's not really a difference in rolling resistance. And if you've got the same tension in the tyre, there's not a particularly strong difference in comfort either. So it mostly comes down to traction. And there isn't really an advantage in the new generation wheels versus those old wheels we had with 19mm tyres on. But it does feel quite a lot nicer using a 25 to 28mm tyre that has 80 PSI in it compared to when you had to have your 19 mil tires at 120 psi to avoid pinch flatting i i do find that smooths the road somewhat mm, very good now i know my son the other day he got a puncher and then put on a spear that they had at the bike race and i think it was yeah it was it was pretty narrow <laughs> he just he could didn't handle it particularly well um but but for you you know if you were doing say ironman new zealand versus uh kona would you consider sort of changing the the width of your tire mm, no not really it's because if you're trying to optimize your setup then there's going to be a particular width of tire that works best. So my wheels are all Profile 24 series, the older generation. And in the tunnel, I found that getting a tire that measured slightly narrower than the rim was the fastest. And I'm comfortable on those 23, 24mm tires. So... I know that's the optimum setup. Nice. Excellent. Um, when it comes to tyre pressure, and again, we're sort of trying to look at all these, the old school way of thinking versus what's um, what's sort of current. You know, back in the old days, I reckon I would have been pumping in 110 to 120 PSI into the, the tubulars, getting them as hard as you bloody possibly can. And sometimes you feel like you're bouncing along the road a bit. Again, you needed um, a better pump. <laughs> 160 PSI for school. Team time trial racing. <laughs> that was back in the day, but um, it wasn't good. 
<laughs> my again with my son's little experiment we played around with uh i think we started at 70 psi and maybe went up to 110 and this was um yeah fairly wasn't particularly scientific with wind swirling and stuff but we we sort of found that 90 psi was was optimal in terms of um the fastest moving speed so yeah tire considerations for for tire pressures the guy that answered asked this question originally sort of you know he was a bigger guy 120 kgs i'm weighing in at sort of 70 um so yeah when people are doing their tires what what are the considerations they need to think about the issue that comes with when people test tire pressure is that if you do roll resistance testing on a smooth roller then it shows you that more pressure just gets faster and faster but what happens in the real world and people started to narrow down on this by putting uh, rough patches on their rollers so welding on wire to simulate being on a real road they found that here comes Miss Moisey. <laughs> they found that there was a break point. So you'd start from a low pressure, say you're 70 psi, and the uh, increase it slightly, and you find that yes, the rolling resistance is dropping until you got to a point where it would suddenly get worse quite rapidly. So it's better to be slightly underinflated than overinflated. And all of those pressures are much lower than what we used to work to, especially as the tires have got wider. For a while, I was including a pressure guide in my bike fit reports because it was such a foreign concept for most people that we were dropping the pressures by so much. Now, the easiest thing to do is to go to the Silka website and use their calculator. Funnily enough, funnily enough, I've got that as a website of the week this week. Um, so I'm glad you're endorsing that. It really makes it a lot easier because it has the capability to enter your mass, your weight, and sorry, I'm just going to switch to the headset. Can you hear me now? Yep. Now we're back in business. I forgot what I was saying. Um, yeah, we're just sort of talking about the, the Sil Silka website. Yes. So the the difficulty is that if you were, say, choosing between the Topol course and Kona, is that the road surface is a lot worse in Topol. This catches out a lot of people who come down here to race, that it's basically a mile an hour slower just from the rolling resistance of the surface. So using a tool like the Silka cal calculator will give you a really good guideline on you can choose your surface, you can choose your mass, you can choose your speed, and it gives you a starting point. Now, if you want to really nail it down, then you're going to have to do your own testing at a very high level of precision. In the end, it's not probably worth doing that for most people. So just use the Silka tool. Mm. Excellent. Um, and I had a little play around with that before, and it, yeah, it's, it's it's really good. You can put all different sorts of road surfaces in and, and your weight, and, and so guys, if you're listening in, we'll have that website later on, but if you um, search for Silky, you should be able to find it. Um, yeah, and the final sort of, one of the final areas was um, a tube type. So those that are on 
clinches. You know, you mentioned earlier that um, latex is faster. I had a discussion with an athlete of coaches going off to do an Ironman in a couple of weeks' time. He said, should I go latex? And for, um, it, you know, a couple of the bits and pieces that I sort of saw in the past about latex is it can be up to five watts of a gain versus your standard sort of tube. So I get, yeah, for those that are on clinches, um, yeah, sort of talk through the pros and cons of latex versus your, your sort of standard inner tube. So to explain the difference, a butyl tube is a petroleum-based rubber, black tubes. Latex is natural rubber out of trees, and it's quite a lot more flexible. And ultimately, that's what determines the speed of a tyre system, is how flexible it is. Because if it's stiff, then it takes more energy to deform the tyre around imperfections in the road. So you hit a bump and more energy is lost to heat if, you are, if you've got a stiff tyre that's hard to deform around that bump. And when you think of those bumps happening every centimetre, you get that effect multiplied quite rapidly. So the best tyres are the ones that have high thread counts and they're very flexible. Likewise with tubes, the latex tubes are more flexible. And so... Even on a smooth surface for a 70 kilo rider, latex will give around a one minute 40 advantage at Kona. Mm. If you're looking at Ironman New Zealand, that doubles. That's especially significant. If we're getting up to the larger athlete, and even in racing form, I am much larger than everyone else, <laughs> it's over a four minute advantage for me for Ironman New Zealand. So, for the sake of, I think they're about 40 US dollars for a pair or 80 New Zealand dollars, it's one of the most cost effective speed upgrades that you can make. Some people think that latex tubes are harder to deal with, but I really haven't found that. They're no more likely to puncture. When they do puncture, they tend to go with a bit of a bang. It happens rapidly, but they're no more likely to puncture than a butyl tube. Now, one thing that can catch people out is that latex is more permeable, so it loses about 10 PSI per day. So if you're pumping your tyres up the day before the race, you'd go a little bit higher. But also that means that if you use a CO2 canister, it just goes straight out because the CO2 molecules are smaller than nitrogen, which is the majority component of air. So having a more permeable tube and a smaller molecule means that it just goes straight out. You don't inflate the tube at all, really. Mm -hmm. Thus, if you're carrying a spare, you carry a butyl tube as the spare. Right. That was going to be my next question. Very good. Awesome. And then the other type of tube that we should probably mention are the new generation TPU tubes, like the Schwalbe Aerothan or the Tubelito, and a lot of companies are doing them now. They're very light. They're not any faster than a good latex. But basically, if testing across the different TPU brands, the different latex brands, there's variation across all of them, but there's no strong conclusion that one material is better than the other. So I haven't seen the need to go to a TPU tube at this point. Cool. 
Okay, awesome. What else is happening in the world of uh, world for you? You know, anything uh, on the profile design front or anything um, anything else on the training front? And we, we you talked about your kids going off to school. You got them on uh, full TT rigs going to school? No, not yet. My <laughs> elder daughter's bike is very heavily upgraded compared to what most eight-year-olds have. <laughs> uh, but that that was intentional. I bought a well well abused bike off a boy and that gave me the capacity to spend some money on making it right rather than buying something off the shelf that would be expensive and not right Uh, and now i've bought her another gear upgrade because i figured out how much harder her gears were than ours (laughs) we're riding up hills mountain biking and she seemed to be suffering so i went through the gear gain calculations which are different from the gear ratio calculations and it turned out that her gearing was just a lot harder than ours but her legs are a lot littler so just trying to make sure that it's fun because i I don't want her to grow up with my issue with hills so (laughs) nice excellent david um any you know racing on the, the the horizons for you i i would like there to be but Training started three weeks ago, theoretically, and after getting through winter without being sick, mm. had COVID at the end of autumn, and then I was clear all through winter, feeling good about it. I've been sick um, twice in the last three weeks, so the boot camp has not got off to a roaring start, but after this, I'm off to the gym to go and start uh, strengthening up to try to delay the effects of getting older yeah be be more robust for running which is obviously an issue that comes in excellent cool oh, all best with the comeback and um we'll see you on the race course at some stage and always love your insight into all areas of uh tech and uh getting faster so thanks for your time david no problem thank you Interesting stuff, isn't it? You know, like, you know, what was I saying? I'm in New Zealand, you can gain like someone. Minute 40, I And think if you're a bit bigger, up to four minutes. Yeah. Wow, man, it's easy speed. Yeah. And it's just some some pretty low cost, no, medium cost sort yeah. of changes. It's not like you need to go and buy, you know, something major, major. Um, it's a bit like building a house, but isn't it? You kind of go, there's another thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of like it's another thing that adds costs, and you might go only 80 bucks for tires, but then. Doing an Ironman is a pretty expensive endeavour. It is. So that interview was brought to you by Profile Design. You go in there and get all your little gizmos, especially for upfront in terms of your hydration systems, wheels. Um, but guys, if you want to become a patron of our show, we've got a wheel set to give away. So it's going to be a Profile Design GMR50 carbon wheel set this is for, awesome. uh, for disc brakes. So if you get in the next, we're going to probably do the draw in a couple of weeks' time. So if you want to become a patron of the show, support what the now. boys do, you've got a pretty good chance of getting yourself a set of very fast Profile Design wheels. Okay, so wait, let's go into web. Oh, 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 was, it, was it a website? Profile Profile design, profile-design.com. Check it out. They've got great, great gear. Website of the week. Now, how to say that name? Uh, Magic Zikant. Magic. There's quite a few good emails, but um, they sent us through and they said, check out this website. And it's for a website that basically gives you the advice on how much pressure you should put on your tires 
So it's called silka.cc and then it's got a bit of uh, text after it, slash pages, slash yep. we'll text, in the show whatever. Notes. We'll have a link. But it is the website that David mentioned in that interview that you've just come up with. So uh, yeah, basically you can go through, you can put in your weight, you can put in the road surface you're going to be on, um, different tyre measurements, uh, wheel diameter, tyre weight distribution, um, and the average speed you're going to be going. Now, I thought when I did that, when I initially went onto this page, I thought, oh, they're just collecting my data and going to start spamming me because you do have yep. to put your email address in. However, I haven't had anything from them. Uh, so Did it's, you it's put a fake email address and you still get it? Uh, well, they don't actually email you. You put your email address in there and then the information displays. Yes, that's when you on, put a fake email in. Yeah, it just displays on the field, yeah. so it's, it's all good. Um, but Silica, Bob Jones gets a lot of emails from me. <laughs> Silica are a company that do the... Um, uh, the the stuff that goes inside the tubeless tyres. Okay, so yep. Uh, so yeah, that's a great way just to see, if, if you're especially if you're a bigger athlete versus a smaller athlete, sort of checking out what sort of tyre pressure you should be having and playing around with different um, wheel diameters and tyre types and so on to see. What do you put your pressure on to? Uh, Did you use this? Uh, I, I haven't in the past, but I'm typically sort of in the 90 to, to up to 100 range. Pressure? Yeah. That's not that high, is it? No. Why not? Have you just not listened to the interview we've gone well, through? Yeah, yeah, we've just. Through. <laughs> <laughs> That's why not. Not 160. <laughs> no. Okay, uh, let's go to winger of the week. Okay, I'm picking a number, John. No, we've got a number. I've, I've already done that. Uh, Random.org has given me number 87. 87. Okay, let's go. Let's go. 87, 87, 87. It is in Farrell. Okay. It's for it's in United Emirates. Can't see anything about him. So well done, Ian. Well, what is it? What? How, how far did he go? There's nothing. I've got nothing. Well, his Ironman PB. He swam twelve. He did twelve hours fifty-four of training. Oh, you must follow him. He's got a private account. Just on the 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 first page. Two hours thirty-seven minutes of swimming. I've got nothing. No, go back a page. Oh, okay. Okay. He did two hours thirty-seven minutes of swimming. Six hours and seventeen minutes of biking. Four hours of running. Ian Farrell. Twelve hours fifty-four minutes. He's done a nine nineteen. Nine nineteen. Solid. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Ian Farrell, you are our winner of the week. Okay, then let me go back to my show notes here, Jombo. Here we go. And we. Torsten uh, was in touch. Yeah, he was. So he was basically saying we're looking at the oldest and youngest Kona winners. I just looked at the oldest. Well, I think I actually asked about the youngest. Okay. So the oldest is who, Jombo? Uh, we've got a bit of a tie. At 38 years of age, we have uh, Fredino, Alexander, and Natasha Badman. 38. 38. Now, Fredino's 40 now. At least. Maybe 41. Yeah. Mm. You think he's going to win next year? Yep. He's yeah. taking it down. I think I've got you on this one. <laughs> okay, uh, then we're going for the youngest winners. If we look now, there's the early days. So it's a bit hard with the early days because if we look at the youngest winners, um, you have, um, is it what the, the sisters? What were they called? Pontos. The Pontos. Sylvia Pontos was 22. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Catherine McCartney was mm-hmm. 22. But that was back in the early 80s. If we kind of, if I just zoom this in, can I zoom this in? Wait a second, give me a second here, John. You talk about... Uh, well, if you want to check out Torsten's tryrating.com, he is going to have his Kona report coming oh, out great. soon. So, yeah, as I said, I think it's five or six weeks away, and you want to find out all the good stuff on all the pros, uh, check it out. He does lots of little interviews, does all the stats stuff. It's your ultimate guide 
to getting in the zone for Kona. Okay, so basically in the 80s, people in their 20s kind of dominated. So you kind of had the, the sisters or Sylvine. Sylvine and uh, Sylvine Patricia. only won it. Sylvine won twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you Paula. She took it out at age 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Leach at age 25. Scott Tinley is the youngest man at mm-hmm. 25 and 82. Dave Scott, 26. But Hal Regal, mm-hmm. 26 and 97. Right. Yeah. And then you had Aaron. And he'd given it a go a couple of times before that, so he must have, yeah. Yeah. So Aaron and Paula and that were again in the 80s, 26. So the youngest female post-80s is Paula Newby Fraser. She took it out in 89. No, no, uh, Daniela Reef, 28. See, that's really interesting. So in the 80s, so basically no female since since the 80s. Let me just double-check this. Yeah, no female since the eighties has won the race under twenty-eight. Mm. You wouldn't have said that, eh? I think the times are changing. Yeah, not well, so. Not so much this year. Well, Caffrey was twenty-nine. Mm-hmm. Fuhrer was twenty-nine. Uh, well, they were. Uh, Christy was thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else in there? So the females are just dominated by minimal names. Leander Cave was thirty-four, and then in the guys, so you had you had. Thomas Hellregal, and then you had uh, Luke Van Leard in, in 97. Kristen Bloomfield was at 28. So in modern times... That's not even Kona. But, well, we did win the World Championships. So yeah. 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 Um, so really, it's kind of 28 to 38 is the range, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah, well, let's see if that changes this year. I don't think it'll be changing on the female side, but the boys' side, possibly. I will just comment on Chrissy Wellington, because you mentioned her. I stumbled on her um, PTO profile... She didn't lose a bloody race. No, no she didn't lose an Ironman, did she? She lost a couple of halves, didn't she? Yeah, but in terms of iron distance races, she undefeated. fifth at the World Long Distance Champs in 2017, which must have probably been her first triathlon, and then went to do Ironman career in August, and then she won every single Ironman she did for from 2007 to the 2001. Short career, but my God, that's mental. She was a freak. Anyhow. She was absolute. Awesome. Okay, John, let's use swim set. Swim set. Today was a little bit of a tapery type session. A tapery type. Because uh, little Tom Somerville was off to do 70.3 in Sunshine Coast. We started off with 400 warm up. This weekend. Oh, Mike Phillips making his return to racing. He had been injured for quite a long time, plus stuck in this country for forever. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes. We started off with 400 warm up, and then we did four times 100, where we were doing one individual medley, and then the other one was kick one length, drill one length. One length, no breathing. Didn't quite make that. And then one length freestyle. And then we did 15 times 50. We did one where you go 25 fast, 25 easy. One where you go 25 easy, 25 fast. One build up, one fast, one easy. We repeated that through three times. We did 400 pretty easy, 25 drill, 75 easy. And then we did six 100s moderately hard, sort of half Ironman race pace. And then I booted um, anybody who was tapering out of the pool. And the rest of us did 1,000 metres continuous, going 100 metres moderately hard, 100 metres easy. And that was the job done, 3.5K. Good times, Rick tomorrow. Okay, if you want to become a patron of the... Oh, the quiz question. Oh, yeah. The quiz question was what? I may have done this before. Uh, who was the f- one? The so first- it's not Aaron Baker, is it? No, first ever draft legal uh, Olympic distance race. The year was 1995. What do you mean draft legal? So you're not allowed to draft? So you draft you're allowed to draft. Oh, that's right. Draft okay. Legal. 95. Hmm. I have no idea. But I'm going to say 
I'll, I'll, I'll tease it out a bit. You can you can have a little stab. It's, Michaela Jones is a bit early for her. Eh? No, she she might have got second. Oh, that's a good name. Then I did well. Maybe. Then. Yeah. yeah. No, you're, um, in the, you're in the right era. It's not like a snow saw. It's a bit early for snow saw, isn't it? Early for snow saw. Um, who was the girl? Um, the Australian that no, she didn't. She never. Emma Carney, you might be thinking of. No, it's no, not, no, not Carney. The um, Jackie. Jackie Gallagher. I think she got on the podium too. Oh, so I've done pretty well. Yeah. Picked out, I haven't picked the winner. So the winner was uh, also won Hawaii Ironman in the same year and was the only person to ever win it. Powder. Uh, sorry. No, not know about it. Oh, She's Smyers? American. Yes, well done. Yeah. Karen Smyers. Oh, there you go. And it was in... I didn't know she, she did So she did a Blumenfeld. She did do a Blumenfeld. Oh, did he win, he well, win she, the championships? She, yeah, she didn't win the Olympics. Uh, so that was when it was a standalone world championship one-day race. It was in Cancun in Mexico. And did she have a long career? Yep, yep. She did a lot of, long course, a lot of short course. She didn't have a, very, a particularly long, long course career, but she was short course for a long time. So she won the world champs, goes along wins Kona. That must have been pretty stellar at that moment. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Oh, What's happened to America? <laughs> you know, in triathlon, you know what I mean? Like, well, that's a bigger question overall. But you well, know, come and go. They've got some. They've got some good, really good short course females at the moment. Um, males, not so much. Taylor Nib is it Taylor? Taylor Spivey, Spivey uh, Taylor Nib as well. Taylor Spivey did really well in the Super League at the weekend. Ruined my bloody fantasy league. Uh. I didn't pick her. Yeah, we just like. When's the last time we've had some great, great American pros? Yeah, oh, well, oh, Gwen. Yes, yes. Um, they, they have got some really, really good females. And, and when you think about it, last few Konas, I haven't got the results in front of me, but you've had Tim O'Donnell on the yep, podium yeah, and good. you've had Ben Hoffman on the podium. Yep. So they're podium him at that race. Um, but outside of that, Sam Long is coming along really nicely. So, Do you watch those documentaries on Netflix, The Untruth or whatever they are, the sporting documentaries, kind of like an hour to an hour and a half? They, they bring out a series at one time. They're really good. So. They had one on, I watched it last week. They had one on um, Andy Roddick and a guy called Mike. I can't remember his last name, but and it was when Roddick kind of came on. Mm-hmm. And these kids were brought up together, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mike guy, I wish I could remember his name. He never really put the effort in. He mm-hmm. was a good player. He was kind of mm-hmm. like top 40 in the world kind of guy. And then one year he said, no, I'm going to do my best. I'm just going to, and he got to like eighth in the world. Um, and basically... Roddick's career was screwed by Federer, you know, because mm. Roddick won his, like, I think he won his first US Open when he was really young yeah. and never really won. And, and Federer just killed so many careers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was basically Federer, Nadal, and Dokovic came along and, and Murray, really. Um, but it's a really good documentary, but it's just that the pressure of being the good American. Mm. And he was just saying, you know, like turning up to um, the US Open with the pressure of being the, because Roddick had always been the best. Mm. And then Roddick kind of, he started beating Roddick because he, he had a moment where he goes, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm, I'm going to be like Andy because Andy always turned every stone. Mm. So he thought, I'm going to be like Andy and try to be my best for a period. And he ended up beating Roddick and then Roddick kind of ends up quitting. And so suddenly, Andy he has a really great year where he's basically top eight in the world. And then, but just the pressure broke him. And, he, and mentally, he, he cracked. Mm. Yeah, it was a really mm. fascinating documentary. Yeah. But, did, but the point is, in triathlon, you know, being the American hero, that's the thing. You hear this. I was best American at Kona. It's like, yeah, who cares. But in America, it's probably got some <laughs> yeah. weight, you know. Okay, let's say thank you to our sponsors, John. We're in tear. Oh, that was our patrons, our sponsor. But oh, sorry, patron. 
I mean, um, profile design. Go get all your gizmos for up front, especially all your hydration systems, super fast wheels, um, profile-design.com. Again, if you want to become a patron and go into the draw to win those wheels, go to oh, www.iamtalk.me yeah. and these are a few of the people who could be. John, we're in tier. We've got, and that's that, Gareth? Gareth? Gethin? Uh, Gethin? 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 Hannibal Hitman Hopkins. <laughs> that's nice. a good one. <laughs> and Hamish, I never hit the... Whoa. That's sensational. Again, if you want to be a patron, go www.iamtalk.me. Also on the front page, you can get the show emailed to you. Coaching, coachingonyourself.com. Also is Epic Camps, epiccamp.com. I released my latest my latest podcast yesterday, bevanjamesowls.com. You can also get my book, passionaboutexercise.com. Content, send it to iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. So Bevan, we had a little incident last week. I biked up here last week and I took off after the ride and I sort of just headed up the hill and headed through this little area called Victoria Park, which is a, just I, a quiet... And it worked, didn't it? It did. It yeah. was a quiet side road because there's lots of roadworks up the hill from where Bevan works and they've been going on forever. But there's this little side road, you can go through a park and you can pop out on the other side and you miss the, miss the traffic lights. And so I was biking up. It's quite hard going out of Bevan's place. It's really steep. Yep. And then I was just sort of crawling up the hill and my legs were a bit tired and blah. I wasn't going very fast. And so I'm biking up this area and I hear somebody biking up behind me. Who's a bit of a creek creek. And this person bikes past me and I am going to have to drop an F-bomb here. But So this is an X-rated show now. You make okay. sure you, you, yep. you upload it. Explicit. And somebody bikes past me and goes, well, you're pretty, going pretty fucking slow. And I was like, look, what? <laughs> And you'll know the person who it is. I don't know the person at all. You won't know, have a clue who I am. An old guy rides around without a helmet on around Christchurch. Oh, yeah, I do know who he is. Everyone yeah. knows me. He's, yep. he's a former like E-grade pro cyclist yep. in Europe and stuff, but he just rides And everywhere. he's got a bike from like the 80s. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I was quite taken aback because who rides past somebody who you don't know and say you're going slow? Now, I was going slowly, but I was just like, what? And then so I yelled out after him. I was like, I dropped a couple of f bombs and said, "Yeah, you don't say things like that to people." And then he turns around, "Oh, you want to go? What's your problem?" I was <laughs> like, "What's my problem?" So I was hurling a bit more abuse at him, and then I kept on riding, thinking, "Oh, this might end up badly, so I better just keep going." And anyway, this guy apparently is not particularly good in the head, and, and has had quite a few substances in his time. But it's oh, just okay. like, oh, I was just. Couldn't believe it. So that was uh, that was one incident last weekend. And you fire up too. So you don't you don't you don't calm the storm. Well, you put f- fuel on the flame. It took me a second or two because I was just so taken aback by it. And yeah. that was one incident from last weekend. And then I went to park run and ran miserably at set on Saturday. I still blame the Tuesday incident for Fair that. Enough I, was to still, you, I agree. Still a bit carved You're up. Emotionally, emotionally scarred. Yeah, I wouldn't say I ran terribly, but it's one of those runs where you take off and you. And your legs just aren't there and you just, oh, shit. So I still ran the same as what I'd done with the previous one, but I was about 20 seconds off what I wanted to do. So I was quite annoyed about that. And I took Felicity along with me. She, she did the park run as well. And we wander back to the car afterwards and I'm sort of fuming a little bit. And somebody comes up to me and says, starts chatting, listens to the podcast. And I was like, okay. And had a chat and I probably could have been a bit more friendlier, but yeah. I still had a chat. And I'm pretty sure, and if it was you... And I'm getting this wrong, let me know. Pretty sure it was Stephanie Beach okay. who was there and she did the park run. And because she said, Oh, did you get your, your sub 17? I was like, No, I didn't. Thanks for bringing, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Uh, and I think she was going for a sub 20, I think. Um, but she did 2021, 
which is I think was a PB for her, which oh, is still really, really good. And I think she recently had a baby, so she's on the comeback. So hopefully I got the right person. Um, so nice work, Stephanie, and thank you for coming up and saying hello to me. Yeah, good work, Steph, you rock star. Always good when someone gets a PB. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. Okay, John, any other goss? That's it. What's happening for you, Bevan? Do you know what a funny thing happened last week? I had to do a talk. Mm-hmm. I got asked to do a, I do a lot of public speaking, and um, – and last week I had three, which is pretty rare. I don't do that many. But I got asked to do a talk at a 13-year-old's. Mm-hmm. They, five schools got 170 kids together and had like a conference day getting ready for high school. Mm-hmm. I got asked to do a talk for it. And I've got to be honest, John, I was crapping my pants. Mm-hmm. You know, because A, what do you talk to teenagers about, you know? Because they're actually going to listen to. Yeah, and B, will they listen to me? Mm. And And... Like when you do public speaking, you basically I've got like twenty talks. I, I I have like fifteen to twenty minute segments, and depending on the need of the talk, I put together the talk and do it. And so I had I've got like twenty maybe twenty five segments, and if you come to me and say I want to talk based on these things, I'll go okay, this segment, this segment, and so on. But it's like occasionally you've got to design a new talk. Mm-hmm. So a I had to design a new talk, and then b I didn't know what the crap I was doing, mm-hmm. and uh, like so much so, an hour before that I was going to. To drive to go to this talk, I still didn't finish designing it. <laughs> like I was crapping my pants, and then luckily I nailed it. And so much so, a teacher came up to me afterwards and was crying. Goodness, yeah, yeah. So that was quite. It was a bit of a special moment. And um, so, how did you keep thirteen-year-olds engaged? Well, one thing as a public speaker, one thing you're always thinking about is state changes. Mm-hmm. So, as a public speaker, you always so the way you, the way you always design it, or the way I design it, is um, storytelling mm-hmm. leading to key messages, and depending on if you want to give house so you, the storytelling is leading to the lesson they need to learn then sometimes it's just key messages or sometimes it's here's what you need to do so it's kind of like the application uh, this i wasn't really doing the house i was storytelling towards three key messages um but you also think about state changes so state changes are you should never be talking for 40 minutes in a row no. so you're doing lots of things to change the state of the crowd mm-hmm. so little things like you know i talk five minutes and i get them to stand up and talk to the kid next to them mm-hmm. bring them back down so you just we, and that's not just for kids. Admittedly, for teenagers, oh. it's more of a challenge. But, you know, you should never get to the point where the crowd's looking bored. Mm. And and it's not just your message. It's how you tell your message and how you engage your audience to create those state changes. So, actually, I, I was – yeah, I actually kept them engaged. So, I was, it was one of the times – you know, sometimes you, like, you're quite competent in an area, but then you know you're going into an area where you actually feel mm. you're not going to deliver – um, and then to deliver is actually quite rewarding. So it was actually quite cool. So yeah, Good. so there we go. Anyway, um, yeah. Cool. Let's wrap it up. Same time, same channel next week. I'm Russ. I'm Eno. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.